Welcome to 1514, the podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 1514, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon. And I'm Lakin Brandt, your other host. Be sure to check out more resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It's a delight to have you as part of our audience. This interview is one that I did with Lou Priolo, who is familiar to many of you through his writing ministry, teaching ministry, and counseling ministry. And we are talking today about uh, his latest book, Loneliness, Connecting with God and Others. And Lou shared some wonderful insights on this issue that faces humanity throughout all of human history, but uh, is highlighted in unique ways, especially in this post-pandemic world. Uh, It was really wonderful interview, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it. 1514 is brought to you in part by the Annual Guide to Biblical Counseling Resources. This interactive ebook lists every published work in biblical counseling, categorizing them by topic and type. Ever wanted to know what biblical counseling resources are available on eating disorders? Just find that topic in the table of contents, click on it, and you will be taken to a listing and description of the five booklets and four books written by biblical counselors on the topic. See something you want to buy? Just click on that title and you will be taken to a website where you can purchase the book. The annual guide also contains lists of schools with biblical counseling programs and degrees, biblical counseling podcasts, international biblical counseling ministries, and much more. Get a copy today from the BCC website for only $6.99. Or you can purchase the right to share it with 100 people for just $100. If you're a BCC partner, you have access to this great resource as part of our appreciation for supporting the BCC. Get your copy today. Well, Lou Priolo, thanks so much for being with us 1514 today. Would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? My name is Lou Priolo. I've been a biblical counselor for like 37 years. Right now I'm serving as the pastor of counseling at Christ Covenant Church in Buckhead, Atlanta, Georgia. I like to fish, travel, write books, and I'm a little bit of a foodie. All right. Well, we'll have to, next time we're down in Atlanta, you'll have to tell us what restaurants to hit up. Uh, Well, I know a lot of our audience have read many of your books and are uh, been blessed by the ministry the Lord's done through you, but today we're talking about a new book that just came out, Loneliness, Connecting with God and Others. Can you tell us what led you to write this new resource? Up until a few years ago, the demographics of the people I counseled were basically 50% married people and 20% individuals who had relationship conflicts and maybe 30% of individuals who had personal issues. Well, when I got here, the church was like 50% single, single adults. And so I became increasingly aware of how prevalent loneliness was. And Mm. although I had written a little bit about it before, I just realized that we needed more biblically based material to help individuals identify loneliness and of course, to offer them solid help and hope from God's word. So As with pretty much all of my books, I mean, I I try to write books that address issues from a biblical perspective that have not been written before by someone else. And so this was a need. 
at the time I wasn't aware of any other books that address this issue. So I thought, why not dive deeper and see what comes out? There you go. Well, go from almost maybe too much relationship on the on the one hand to not enough on the other. Um, mm-hmm. You have a particular definition in your book for loneliness. Can you share that with us? Well, actually, if I remember right, I I defined or I looked at loneliness through the lens of several different de- definitions. Many view loneliness simply as a result of not having the company of other people to enjoy, but mm-hmm. loneliness is really a compound emotion that's not experienced exactly alike by every person. For most, it involves things like sadness and feelings of isolation. For many, it involves shame and grief, anger, a sense of inadequacy or inferiority. Uh, for some, it includes feelings of rejection, jealousy, and envy. So, if I had to start with a plumb line, a bottom line definition, I would say loneliness can be the result of having a deficient or defective relationship with God. Sometimes people are lonely because they've never been saved from their sin. Consequently, they've not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and do not have his abiding presence in their lives. Now, for the Christian, Loneliness may also be the result of not being in and or enjoying fellowship with God or his people. I appreciate that. And, uh, and as you said, it, it is a more complex thing than just a simple one-line definition. So appreciate you taking time to do that. And obviously you wrote a book on it. Um, so for a lot of people, they think of loneliness as just being by themselves or being mm-hmm. alone. Um I guess maybe in one sense you answer that, but would you contrast use that as a contrast in any way to help us understand loneliness and your understanding of loneliness? Sure. Well, Jesus was often alone, but it is never said that he was lonely. Mm. It's possible to be lonely in a crowd of people. It's possible to be alone and not be lonely. Mm. Those of us who put our trust in Christ have been given the Holy Spirit. He's there to comfort us, to assist us, to intercede for us, to guide us, to convict us, to teach us, to enlighten us, to sanctify us, amongst many other things, to empower us. He is our constant companion. Jay Adams had a sermon one time about the Holy Spirit, and the title of the sermon was, Meet Your Best Friend. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit is our best friend. When we get married, then our spouse is our best friend. But uh, after, I should say, the Holy Spirit is always our best friend, but we have a special kind of one flesh relationship with our spouses. But yeah, it's the lack of uh, really um, appropriating and cultivating the relationship with God's Spirit through the scriptures that causes a lot of us to be or experience loneliness that is painful. Yeah. And as you mentioned, just like we can be lonely in a crowd of people, even even people who have the Holy Spirit in them can experience that loneliness um, because for a variety of reasons, which you get into the book, and I won't ask you to spill all the beans, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, that's a really helpful thing to keep in mind too. Uh, another, another definition I, I like is this. Loneliness is sort of God's alarm system th- that lets us know it's time or it may be time for us to draw closer to him. Mm. 
Oh, that's a helpful, yeah. Practical definition that um, I've worked with for many years. No, that's very, very helpful. And the book is very practical, including you have some inventories in the book and some uh, checklists that people can utilize. And one of those is is a loneliness inventory. What What's the purpose of the inventory? Uh, is it a scorecard that you can gauge how, how lonely you are? And how might an individual or somebody doing counseling use that? Well, first of all, as I recall, it's not a scientifically normed uh, instrument, but it was sort of culled together from different places I've uh, looked at on the internet and, and a few other sources. So the inventory can be useful in that it will identify specific elements of loneliness of which the reader may, might not be aware. So it mm. sort of serves as uh, a, a, an opportunity to realize, well, I'm not as lonely as I thought I was, or maybe what I thought was something else really is loneliness or the result of loneliness. So it's just the ability to put your finger on and maybe even look at loneliness through the lens of scripture a little bit more. Focus your attention, not so much on the feeling, but the different components of loneliness so that you might be able to more accurately, biblically understand how to interpret the feelings that you're experiencing. No, that's really helpful. When I was reading it, that that's exactly what it did for me in one sense is just highlight, oh, like I never thought I never thought about that particular aspect or maybe that is an indication that I'm lonely or I could see that in somebody's life. Uh, that's really helpful. One of the and one of the boxes that stood out to me for that specific reason was this one that you asked if if you spend more than two hours on social media for reasons other than work, why why include that in a in an inventory on loneliness? Because various studies, and some of these came out after the book was, uh, after I submitted the book to the publisher, various studies link excessive screen time, screen time to loneliness and depression. Mm. Uh, and then there's guilt. I mean, you sp- on top of however miserable the, the, the lonely experience is, you start wasting time, wake up after a two-hour trance and realize you just wasted, you know, an hour and a half of the Lord's time, you're going to feel guilty. And then there's the whole idea of cyber friendships versus actual friendships. I saw a bumper sticker not too long ago. I think it was bumper sticker. It basically said, I don't need Facebook. I have real friends. And (laughs) I really, yeah, I mean, I really got to thinking about that. I think the technology today we have cyber friendships and it really kind of cuts into our ability to make uh, close friendships. I, I've heard that there are actually people who have spent so much time on the screen that they've forgotten, they've lost social skills and they now feel very, very awkward when it comes to interacting with people because they've spent so much time in front of the screen. Yeah, no, that's, that's not, not a, I see it in real life with college students uh, every day, uh, and then you throw into it the pandemic nature where everybody w- was isolated. There, there are, there will be a generation of people who do not have the social ca- capacity that others before them did because of because of that. That social media is a misnomer. It's it's really not social. It's media of some some sort. But uh, now I really what that that stood out to me, and then I saw those studies, and I thought, man, that's a really helpful thing to, for us to dig into and see if people are actually having genuine relationship 
uh, with, with and then later people. on in the book, I I have a section where you kind of evaluate how much time you're wasting in mm-hmm. front of screens and other things uh, to try, try to recap that time and reinvest it in more significant relationships. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, again, the work is super practical. It's a very great tool that you could use writing, counseling, hand to somebody. And it's very, it's relatively short for a book. Uh, So it's very easy to consume. Uh, I would highly, I'm going to use it in my counseling and I would highly recommend people in their counseling ministry to utilize it as well because it's so read out of the box, ready to use kind of thing. Sorry. And and actually, um, you know, I wrote it for two purposes one so the individual christian can read or even uh, unbelieving maybe realize uh, he needs to know the lord Mm. but also to use as a counseling tool so that the the counselee can read the book and then unpack it with his pastor elder counselor yeah no i appreciate that you highlighting that it's not quite a gospel tract but if you if you're i'm sure a lot of believers feel very very lonely and you do go straight to the gospel, share the gospel very clearly in the book. So it would be a great uh, evangelistic tool as well. So uh, thanks for highlighting that. Um, <clears throat> you, you encourage, in one section, you encourage readers to repent of their loneliness. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, that was a play on words. It's not what you think. <laughs> Which is why I wanted to bring it up. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, the, the, the point is that the Greek word for repentance fundamentally means to rethink it's meta noia mm-hmm. meta means again and noise has to do with your thought process so it's like to rethink to think again and so i want my readers to rethink how they interpret loneliness i i would like for them to view loneliness more through the lens of scripture than through the lens of those who do not have an eternal perspective that we as christians have in god's word in order to change your feelings you'll have to change your thoughts as well as your actions. So I suggest in the book that loneliness is more of a state of mind than it is a feeling. Mm -hmm. The way you think about being alone will affect the way you feel about it. For example, if you believe that you must always have another human being at your side to avoid being lonely, you're likely going to be a very lonely person. Again, There'll be times when we may feel lonely, even in a room filled with people. On the other hand, if we arm ourselves with the biblical mindset that loneliness is primarily the result of not enjoying communion with God, then we may find we feel our, we we may we may find ourselves feeling less lonely, even when we are alone. Hmm. Jesus knew he was going to be forsaken by the disciples in John sixteen thirty two, but he also knew he. He wasn't really alone because the father was with him. He viewed being left alone and being alone as two different things. His mindset was not, I will necessarily be lonely as a result of being left alone, but seems to rather have been, as long as the father is with me, I will not be lonely, even though all forsakes, forsake me. Of course, then that was that moment when he cried out, Father, why have you my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that God's presence and provision were more than adequate to make up for the loss of all other company. And I think that's the mindset the Lord wants us to um, to develop. 
No, it's, it's really helpful. And it's, it made me think of the fact that if you have that perspective of loneliness, that you have to have another human being with you at all times in order to not feel lonely or to feel satisfied or whatever, you're actually going to miss out on some of the some of the sweetest times that Christians can have in isolated prayer time and meditation with the Lord, um, which is, as you highlighted, our Savior wanted a lot of that. And for those who've experienced it, it's wonderful. And for those who haven't, it, you should. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I put it in the book. I probably didn't. But sometimes in counseling, I use the example of an umbilical cord. You know, I, I you want to have your emotional umbilical cord plugged primarily into the Lord. And then, and then, through other means, a spouse, people in the church, Christian friends, you know, you have these like mini unbiblical cords where the Lord himself uh, ministers to you through other individuals that he places in your life. But you don't want to put the cart before the horse. You don't want to look more. You don't want your your primary unbiblical cord plugged into a person more than the Lord. Now, yes, when you're married, of course, your spouse has the biggest section of it. But the point is yeah. you, you need to look as at God as the one who richly gives you all these things to enjoy and not put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, so to speak. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. Uh, you list a number of factors in the book that could be contributing to somebody's loneliness. And again, I don't want you to go through all of them, but could you just highlight a couple so people get a, a, a taste of what they might get when they read the book? Well, one I basically already mentioned was that you may be lonely because your relationship with God has been interrupted, impaired, impeded, or otherwise hindered. Could be that you're experiencing a transient lifestyle. 25% of the U.S. population moves annually. And like this is something we, we can't do much about. Uh, the most important thing we do probably is to find another church before we move and make mm. sure we're, we have community there. It could be that you're living an isolated life, a separated lifestyle. It could be that your relationship with those close to you have been broken by illness or death or divorce or some other isolating event or series of events. Some people are lonely even in marriage. They're, they're lonely because they have a spouse who will not communicate to them. Some people have a strong fear of being rejected and insecurity, if you please, that keeps them from getting close to others. Some people, sometimes we're lonely, like Jeremiah, because we're suffering for righteousness' sake. And then there's one that I saved till last that um, a lot of people don't want to talk about, but sometimes we're lonely because we have patterns of unbiblical thoughts and motives and attitudes that are off-putting to others and consequently contribute or exacerbate our loneliness because we kind of repel people rather than attracting them. Mm. Well, no, those are, <laughs> you could almost write a book on each one of those things. And I know that you do write a section on each uh, to dig into them more and more. So people, um, it's going to hit everybody differently. Just like you said, mm -hmm. it, it, people experience it differently. And all of those roots, um, some of them are going to land with particular people and others will dig into the lives of others. So I appreciate you sharing some of those and definitely for writing much more. Um, in the section, what are cures for loneliness? The first thing you mentioned is learn to view loneliness more as a blessing than a curse. Uh, can you explain that for our audience a little bit? Loneliness is a trial. And trials are unavoidable in this life. 
Right, it says in the book of Job, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Think it not strange concerning this fiery trial, which is to try you. So we have to look at it as a trial, and trials are designed by God for our good. Consider it all joy, not if, brothers, not if you encounter various trials, but when you encounter various trials. So as Christians, you can learn to live with a little bit of loneliness. I'll often quote Philippians 4.13, not only this context, but in other contexts, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, you, you say that to people sometimes, and it's like, you've got to be kidding. You you don't understand how hard this is for me. Mm. It's like, okay, then let's look at it this way. I can learn to do all things through him who strengthens me, right? If God says you must do something, then you can learn how to do it. He promises to give you the wisdom to do it. He promises to give you the ability to do it. He promises to give you the desire to do it. It's God who works in you to make you willing and make you able to do his good pleasure. And... To the extent that your loneliness is the result of your refusing to compromise because of your faith, like by marrying an unbeliever or refusing to be in relationships with certain people who you know will cause you to sin, your suffering will be for the sake of righteousness and you will be greatly rewarded in heaven. It's hmm. a lot. It's good. Thank you. Um, one of the questions that popped up to me, which didn't come directly. It wasn't a direct thing from the book, but it just related to the concept of loneliness and relationship is that I, um, the way I phrased it could be a little bit weird. Uh, and so I'll explain what I mean is we have a desire, I think as human beings to be fully known and to fully know other people. And I think that's rooted somewhat in our, our, the fact that we want to have that close relationship with God, that walk in the garden, cool of the day kind of relationship. Um, but in the context of your book and relationships and loneliness, what do you think about that idea? So we would not be able to have a relationship with God if it were not through revelation, right? Revelation basically means you pull the curtain back and reveal who you are to the other person. So, we have in general revelation, God pulling the curtain back a little bit. We know a little bit about his eternal power, his Godhood. We know that we're in trouble with him, but we don't know how to be saved. We don't know how to please God, right? It's yeah. a special revelation. God had to pull the curtain back all the way and reveal himself to us so that we could rightly relate to him. So in a sense, revelation is a prerequisite to having a relationship and to the degree that two people can pull the curtain back and reveal who they are to each other, to that extent, they'll have a close relationship. And of course, marriage is the most intimate of interpersonal mm -hmm. relationships. So it stands to reason that husband and wife should be pulling the curtain back. They should, in fact, be naked and unashamed. But uh, in other relationships also, it takes a certain amount of self-revelation in, in order to experience the uh, intimacy that a, a person would want to have to have a friend, to mm -hmm. to have a close relationship with someone. Yeah, no, and that's and and kind of what we were talking about before. Nobody can, we can't fully experience that here and now. Like none of us, one, are self aware enough to really open up our our hearts to other people, and then it's really hard to to fully know another human being. Um, but that I think well, that longing there 
that cannot be satisfied by another human relationship should point us to Christ and, and our longing for to see him and to be like him uh, and to be known by him. And he's the only one who fully knows anybody. <laughs> and, so. and unlike even our spouses and our children and our closest friends and our pastors, you know, he doesn't misperceive anything. Yeah. He doesn't misunderstand yeah. us. He doesn't misjudge us. You know, he is safe in the sense of he is not going to misrepresent us to himself or to other people. So yeah. it really is safe to uh, reveal your heart, to pour out your heart before the Lord. Yeah. And it, I mean, that shows too, we were talking about it again beforehand. You mentioned that even Jesus was misunderstood by people. And I think with, with loneliness, part of maybe in some people's instances is, is real relationship takes a lot of work. I mean, you have to be patient with people. You have to be willing to be misunderstood. You have to have them misunderstood. You know, you have to under, misunderstand people and then work through that. Um, you have to risk losing the relationship. I mean, how many times as a counselor, bro, are you in there? And it's like, okay, I've got to convict this person of his sin. Do I say it this way? <laughs> or do I say it this way? What's the balance between truth and love so that I don't, you know, lose the counseling and he doesn't refuse to come back? Mm. But there's a sense in which you have to be willing to speak the truth in love to risk losing or hurting the relationship if you really love someone. Yeah. And if you're not willing to do that hard work and you're not willing to take that risk, you're not going to have real relationship and you're going to be lonely. <laughs> you're not a real friend. The friend loves it all times, right? Bless. Yeah. Uh, uh, what does it say? Oh, I lost it. Um, faithful are the, are the wounds of a friend. Yep. Yep. And deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I sidetracked from my, our notes a little bit there, but it was a good conversation. Uh, can you explain the concept? You you had this phrase that stood out to me, be willing to allow God to choose your friends. Can you explain that? How should we as Christians choose our friends? Do we have, do we have simply uh, a set of special criteria for those who are worthy enough to be chosen as our friends? Mm. Or... Are we willing to let God choose our friends based on what we can do to them? How we can minister to them? Are we selfish about our friendship and selective? Or are we willing to, you know, let God be the one to decide who our friends are going to be based on how we can minister to them? Now, again, I'm not suggesting that we lower lower our standards. Uh, you know, the Bible says uh, he walks with wise men, will be wise. The companion of fools will be destroyed, will suffer harm. So I'm not saying we should throw caution to the wind, but I'm simply asking in the book, have we somehow raised the standard for who qualifies as friend-worthy higher than the Scripture does? Mm. Jesus was a friend to sinners. So for as long as I can remember, I've kind of had this twofold systems, category A friends and category B friends. Category A friends are the friends that I, the friendships that I initiate, that I pursue primarily on the basis of how I might be able to minister to this person, to these people. I know I may receive little or nothing as a result from befriending them like a, you know, bow of low hanging fruit, these people all around you. And then there's category B friends. And unfortunately, this is what a lot of people want. They, they want to forget category A friends and they want all category free B friends. Category B friends are the friends that 
I would like to have because I would like to be ministered to as well as be able to minister to them. Now, these kinds of friends, admittedly, are fewer and harder to come by. And, uh, you know, they're sought out carefully with wisdom and much prayer. But we can't just you know, only want to have people who are going to minister to us. And the cool thing about it is when you when you are willing to let God choose your friends based more on how you can love them than how on how they can love you, often they will mature and they'll grow and then they'll develop into category B friends. And before you know it, they're ministering to you as much as you're ministering to them. And when, when that happens, more often than not, you have a lifetime friend. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think this might be a conversation for a different day? Cause it's not, I don't remember if you addressed it in your book, but I know our audience, many are counselors and not with everybody, but occasionally I've seen the other side of the spectrum where uh, the only people that people are interacting with are people that they are pouring into. And so they only have category A friends and they don't have um, any category B friends or they don't even feel like they need category B friends. Um, do you want yeah. to throw your Science throw some conversation avoid, into avoid that? Extremes, <laughs> avoid extremes at both ends. Out of, being out of balance either way is going to be a problem. And that oftentimes is a matter of fear. They don't want people to get too close to them. They don't want mm. them to reveal their heart. It could be a matter of pride. But yeah, having exclusively category A or category B is problematic. Yeah. Well, you, you do need people to pour into you. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think uh, I pray for a, lot of, a number of friends who... I think struggle in that department. So uh, there's yeah, another book. Sometimes, sorry. I was just going to say there's another book for you there. <laughs> what I sometimes say to my counselees, you may have done this too, is look, I, I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is at. I'm giving you counsel today. In two weeks, I may become a for advice on something. Yep. And I think that's the way we have to look at it, you know, to avoid this. I'm the professional counselor. I have all the answers. No, I'm, I'm just the guy trying to help another guy or gal figure out how to apply the scriptures to their lives. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So part of having a good relationship is being a good friend. Uh, and you have a section in there that talks about growing in that way as well. So how would you encourage people to honestly examine themselves and be sure they're growing in the characteristics that make them a godly friend? Yeah. Again, let me say that this is something that a lot of people don't want to consider. Could it be that I'm lonely because there's something uh, about me that's off-putting to other people, something that's changeable, some some offensive kind of sin like pride or fear or selfishness or worry or self-pity or suspicion, jealousy, contentiousness. So I go through those in the book, and then I talk about the kind of qualities that are um, that others often want for their friends. Developing humility, sincerity, transparency, tolerance, faith, joy, even appropriately expressing affection, being appropriately affectionate. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's helpful. So these are the things that uh, I ask the readers to consider as they're trying to understand loneliness through a biblical lens. No, I appreciate that. There's a good amount of time in the book on that, just being the kind of good friend as well as knowing the kind of friends to look for. Um, any last thoughts, any questions you wish I had asked that I didn't? Anything else you want to pass on thing, to our audience? 
The only thing I don't know if PNR told you, but the uh, the public date, the publication date, there was some kind of a glitch with the printer, so the publication date has been moved from March first to March twenty eighth. So I know you can order the book now on Amazon, but it will not be available until the end of the month. Well, that's that's good to know. And then if it is, it'll be available anywhere PNR, Amazon, anywhere you can get books. So be sure to to look out for that. Well, we're wrapping up our time together and I have a segment at the end called two minute favorites, which is just like what it says. I set a timer for two minutes, see how many of these questions we can knock out. Are you ready for this? Ready. All right, here we go. You look ready. I think you have notes, so you might get through the whole thing. Here we go. What is your favorite food? Neapolitan pizza. What is the favorite gift you've ever received? Vinyl records. Favorite gift you've ever given? Flowers. Favorite word? Alacrity. Favorite book of the Bible? Proverbs. Favorite book outside of scripture? Baxter's Christian Directory. Favorite color? Sky blue and hunter green. Favorite sport? Baseball. Favorite sports team? Yankees. Favorite Bible verse? Romans 4.8. Favorite ice cream flavor? Cassata. It's a Sicilian fruit ice cream that's made with sheep's milk ricotta. Hmm. Favorite candy? Dark chocolate with hazelnuts. Favorite quote? You can't solve a problem biblically unless you can first diagnose it in biblical terms. Hmm. Favorite restaurant? Kim's Kitchen, my wife. <laughs> Favorite beverage? Uh, in Brazil, they have these fruit juices. Basically, it would be pineapple juice whipped up with some condensed milk and frothed it up. It's delicious. Hmm. Favorite movie? It's a Wonderful Life. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Batman. Favorite job you've ever had, excluding your current job? <laughs> I was a nurse's aide when I was in college, and I worked in the neonatal or the newborn nursery, and so I got to, uh, you know, really kind of get the the babies ready to prep to to visit their moms and everything. It was kind of a cool job. Favorite animal? Dog. If your mother were to describe you in one word, what word would she use? Probably loyal. On the good side, she'd have a few on the negative side, but on the good <laughs> side, she'd probably say loyal. What's one of the funniest experiences you've ever had? I asked Kim about this, and she she reminded me that when we were first married, um, and at the time, we were both teetotalers, I got pulled over for erratic driving. <laughs> the police officer made me take a sobriety test. I had to walk the line and put my fingers together, and I'm sitting there mortified, and my wife is just laughing her head off. Oh, that's really funny. Well, our timer actually ended right as I asked that question. So, but I had to had to hang on for the answer. So, well, you made it through almost my entire list. So, well done. And Lou, thanks so much for being with us on fifteen fourteen today. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.